0: freedom podcast this podcast
1: exists to bring to light the legalism and abuse in the independent fundamental baptist movement and to encourage believers to grow in grace through the scriptures now here's your host john hollyfield
0: Uh, but um, around February of this year, I was listening to, I was scrolling through Facebook and saw that a former classmate from Bible College, uh, Stephanie Kittleson, uh, when I knew her, Stephanie Helms in college, uh, had posted on Facebook that she had done an interview about her time in the IFB. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Somebody is interested in doing something like that in a podcast. So I immediately clicked on the link, listened to the episode, and I I was just I was fascinated. And uh, then found out that this guy had uh, Eric Skorzynski had developed an entire podcast of listening to abusive stories within the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement, and I was riveted. So uh, I immediately started to listen to every single episode that he had done this thus far, and I thought, you know what? now is the time to to tell my story i'm not bitter it's been seven years since i had left and so i said you know what this is this is the time so i reached out to him and uh and then uh, the following week uh we scheduled a time and and he interviewed me on my time in the ifb and after that you know i thought that there would be that would be it but it's sort of the burden kept growing and growing in my heart that I wanted to uh, do something to to speak out on this as well, and and do it do so from my perspective as a pastor, as an elder, as somebody that can you know provide uh, biblical theology to combat some of the teachings that I think are wrong in the IFB. So we started uh, I started the For Freedom podcast in June, and uh, got some other things in the works as well. And now we come to a, a, a uh, moment where I'm able to interview Eric. And so this is an interview on uh, confronting abuse. So I, I get a chance to interview Eric Skorzinski, the host of the Preacher Boys podcast. He also is the host of the Good Story podcast. And, uh, and so he does a lot of work. He has the PreacherBoysDoc.com and is working on a, a documentary. On the abuse within the Independent Fundamental Baptist movement, but more importantly, Eric is also the husband to Tara, and the father to an energetic little girl named Piper, and uh, he's a family guy, and um, and so uh, we had a wonderful time and just talked about some subjects. Got to get we got a chance to get Eric's perspective on on a lot of the. Uh, on what he's doing and the work he's doing and the nature of abuse and those kinds of things. As so many times he is uh, on the other end and not doing as much talking and listening, give him a chance to uh, to open up and talk about some things. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. Here's the interview with uh, Preacher Boys podcast host, Eric Skorzynski. Okay, and I'm here with uh, Eric Skorzynski.
1: Eric, how you doing, man? It's good to have you on. Pretty good. I just started working out again, so I'm super sore, but other than that, doing pretty good. So Wonderful,
0: wonderful, wonderful. Hey, this is a huge, uh, monumental occasion for me because um, <laughs> a lot of what I'm doing with uh, my podcast and trying to get uh, biblical counseling certification to branch that into a bigger ministry uh, really was awakened by, by your podcast, the Preacher Boys podcast, hmm. and then you uh, allowed me to come on and share my story. And then I just knew that that was God was putting a burden on my heart to do something as well to people, you know, with similar experiences. So, uh, so I really doing a episode series for uh, the for freedom podcast on abuse. I really wanted to have you on because you have uh, spurred a, a movement within the independent fundamental Baptist world uh, confronting the abuse and I think if I title this episode it's going to be confronting abuse and Mm. um, because that's basically what what you've done Um, before we get into a couple of the questions that I have for you I wanted to I wanted to just mention this because I I think it's worth mentioning um, you started the podcast in January and uh, the impact of the preacher boys podcast and these last nine months um, I think that the uh, the podcast has, has grown very popular yeah. um uh as far as the podcast rankings and those kinds of things i think you have some some stats on that
1: yeah i mean so it's been in and out of in and out of different charts like it was top 40 or 50 true crime like among all shows um through uh charitable which is like one of the most respected like podcast ranking sites um I haven't cracked into apple's top charts yet but i'm sure it'll get there at some point um i've you know it's hit 260,000 downloads uh which is just crazy um and the site's gotten i mean yeah almost uh, well over 50,000 visits to the website um 99,963 page views. Um, like it's, it's been pretty, it's, it's just been wild. Like it's, it's, it's something that I, you know, this kind of kicked off with me going out to my car when the Juvenile situation happened and just recording a 10 minute rant, you know, and I'm not the person that goes out and does that about everything. Like I've never done that before. And even like right after I did it and posted it, I was like, was that dumb? Should I have not done that? Because I always hate seeing people's videos like in their car responding to stuff, but it really was it for me, it was a boiling point of I need to talk about this. Like at this point, if anything else happens, I feel like I need to at least have done my part to say something. And, you know, when the podcast took off the way it did, like I did not expect it to, I know everyone says that, but I truly did not expect it to be hitting, you know, in five years, 260,000 downloads. Like I thought it would be my friend's family and a few other people and it's just exploded. And I don't know where to put credit for that. Cause it's just, it's, it's wild.
0: Well, I wanted to bring that part of it up because I think that, I think because people don't realize how much of a, uh, familiarity or a, <clears throat> a connection that, uh, people that have have left the movement or been involved in any type of abuse within a church yeah. uh feels and it, yeah. it's it's sort of and this was the next point was the the discussion board a sense of community i mean the discussion board's gone through some growing pains
1: <laughs> but i mean <laughs> right. well over a thousand members yeah i mean look it's it's it- It's one of those weird things with the show. And I was telling someone this a a little while back, I was saying it's kind of bittersweet when you see how many people it resonates with on, on the upside, like every milestone that feels like it should be in any other podcast, you'd be like, Oh wow. Like (laughs) we're hitting crazy numbers. You know, Uh, there is some of that, but then on the other side, it's sad that so many people relate to the, the heavy topics we're talking about on the show. And I think where I see that most clearly is through the discussion group that we have. And yeah, it's been through growing pains and, and there's, you know, there's people in there who've just left the church, who there's people who are still in the church who are trying to make sense of this. There's, there's a very wide group of people in that. And by, by design, like I wanted to be a place where literally anybody could go and for the most part, I think it's been successful in that. Like sometimes I'm even like, oh, it's gotten too negative in certain parts, and you know, gotta remind people here like what it's about. But for the most part, like it's been a very encouraging place. People able to share like, you know, what's affected them, what's impacted them. And, you know, one thing I just see in every single thread is no matter what someone experience someone mentions, there's 20, 30, 40 people that are all sharing the same experience. And so it's it's been a good spot for people to connect, communicate, obviously this is a heavy subject. So, you know, sometimes people let the the worst part of them's out and, you know, get into a fight here and there. But for the most part, it's been a lot of encouragement and it's cool seeing a thousand plus people just supporting survivors of abuse and and sharing those experiences with each other.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, We talked about before we start recording about maybe the how maybe the impact of the podcast has affected investigations uh, starting because there are uh, new investigations that are going on uh, with um, uh, situations within the independent fundamental Baptist movement and, and sexual abuse. Also, I think the most meaningful impact has been, you know, people getting help, survivors. Yeah getting help and i think even in the discussion board i mean you're what right. 60 something episodes in
1: and yeah, like 65 or something like that
0: and probably 90 95 of that is testimonials stories people uh, telling their story of abuse but you talk about a message right. board with there's so many more stories of people that haven't been heard on the podcast and i think that yeah, The whole idea about this thing is, is people
1: in some way or another have been receiving help. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and I just want to say that I mentioned this at, at the beginning too, like there's, there's a lot of people who've been having big impacts in areas that I haven't. And um, most of the people who have gotten help from the show is from me connecting them with someone who, you know, has experienced dealing with trauma, with legal counsel, things like that. And so I definitely don't want to, I definitely don't want to take credit for all of the good work that's been done. Um, you know, I've, a lot of people that have been hugely instrumental and in, I mean, even way longer since I've been doing this, um, you know, joy Ryder with out of the shadows uh, has been doing amazing work and like, you know uh, helping, I mean, I, I don't know how many girls like get comfortable sharing their story. Um, you know, I've got uh, Amanda householder with a uh, circle of hope, a crazy amount of good work there jerry massey uh, you know say again jerry massey yeah jerry massey has been doing i mean jerry massey was like kind of the og of of doing this kind of work right and so there's all those people and and yeah and and nothing that i've been able to do would not be possible without them and at, at the end of the day you know i know we talked a little bit about hopewell and things like that like at the end of the day, like it takes survivors one to come forward and um, you know, them sharing their story. But yeah, it, it's been amazing. And and I know people um I know people look at the show and the podcast and and you know see sixty episodes, but that's a fraction of people I get to talk to every week and communicate with. And it really is I I don't know it's hard to communicate like just how many contacts I get every single week. Um, there was one week where someone was like, um, one of my friends was kind of harassing me about responding to a message, and I was like, I'd stop because I'm petty and I counted up like all of my Twitter messages, Facebook messages, emails, and I was like, man, I was like, it's Wednesday. And I was like, I've already gotten like 19 Facebook messages from 19 different people, like just reaching out about different cases, different um, different issues and needing help and things like that. And I'm getting, I mean, I've I've gotten thousands of messages like from doing the show. Um, and some of the coolest stories are stuff that I can't even share because it's stuff where I've been able to connect someone with like a good lawyer. I've been able to connect people with, you know, someone like Amanda who, you know, is doing amazing work with um, exposing like reform schools and things like that. Um, and there's even like, I I had a private investigator reach out to me just two days ago that said, Hey, I've been investigating this organization and I came across your YouTube video and I have questions for you. And I was able to connect them with two or three people that I knew could help them. And so there's a lot of cool stuff on the show, but there's also like, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have reached out that have like shared heartbreaking stories. And, you know, I've been able to at least be there to, you know, listen at the very least. And at the best, been able to connect them with someone who can actually help. So yeah.
0: that's yeah, and I'm 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 thankful for it. And I think this this can lead into the next question because I think sometimes people misunderstand uh, can misunderstand the podcast, um, right? And uh, I've heard people from a range of responses. Oh, he's he's just bitter uh why is right. he trying to attack the church as if the independent fundamental <laughs> no badness is the church um right uh different different responses so and i know right. you've stated this before even on your own podcast but for just one more time what is y- your mission and your purpose in the podcast
1: well i mean the mission in short is to shed a light on uh, abuse physical mental and sexual within the independent baptist movement and um, i think people hear that and the the biggest questions i get are you know either why do you hate christianity in general and you know i'm quick to say have you listen to podcasts because i'm definitely a christian um but the other is why narrow in like why have such a narrow focus And uh, I get tons of messages. Why don't you focus on the Catholic Church? Why don't you focus on public schools? Why don't you focus on, you know, fill in the blank with any organization that they perceive has a greater, lesser form of abuse. And uh, I mean, just first of all, uh, the, the, it's not a contest of who has the most, um, what organization has the most abuse. I do think that with how small the independent Baptist movement is, the amount of abuse is shocking. Um, And I think statistically i think it's 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 on par with any abusive organization you can think of but i think on the flip side of that too the reason i'm dialed into this movement is because i grew up in this movement i know this movement and you know i often ask people i'm like would you expect a uh you know catholic uh a former catholic to do an episode about baptist abuse it wouldn't make sense you're going to start with your experiences and that's all i can do And also there just hasn't been a lot of work done in this area. Like I know there's been people have done a lot of great work, but there hasn't been a consistent hammering away and keeping this in the public eye, the way that there has been for the Catholic church or for any of these other religious organizations. Um, And then just on the, on the question of bitterness um, I, I said this on one of the shows, but you know, I'm not, I'm not bitter in the sense of, I want every, IFB church indiscriminately to be shut down and all that kind of thing. That's not my heart at all. I am angry that this is something that hasn't been addressed in a meaningful way. It's been, it's been addressed by people like Jerry Massey and things like that, but it hasn't been addressed by in-house leadership in a very consistent way. Um, And so I would just say, I mean, at the end of the day there's only so much i can do to say i'm not bitter i mean i think my actions speak louder than words in this area um i had two pastors this last either last week or last two weeks that reached out and said hey i don't like your podcast they straight up said i don't like your podcast i'm not a fan of yours i don't like how you address certain things but um do you have any resources you'd recommend to <laughs> to help prevent abuse within our churches and um i just respond thanks for being honest and you know mail off some resources that would be helpful to them um or send them links to things that would be useful but i think when they reach out they perceive that i'm some kind of you know vindictive angry you know if they have ifb in their name you know i'm going to be mad at them but i have a lot of respect and, and sincere respect for the guys that have reached out and said hey we don't know what to do in this area can you help and usually my answer is no, but I know a couple of resources that will, or there's someone I know that could talk to you about this. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, the, the bitterness thing comes up frequently. I don't know how to address it aside from like, I feel like if people listen to the show, they'd probably not come away with that. Um, but also most of the pastors that reach out, I just try to get them on the phone. Uh, same with church members, or, um, I talked to the college student for about an hour, like, Um, you know, if I said, someone's upset about what I'm doing, I like to just get on the phone and just like, Hey, I'm a real person. Let's talk about it and kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to address that aside from, um, you know, I, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not here to see, um, every IFB church shut down and there's, I know that there's, you know, anon accounts or other sites that have been out that have tried to do that, but I'm not, that's not been a goal of mine whatsoever
0: okay so. well you sort of you sort of in in that answered the third question i had about how do you respond when somebody says the ifb is not the only group that had sexual abuse or why single out the ifb so for that reason i want to throw i just i just thought of a, another question and that is, yes due to i want to play devil's advocate here because the independent fundamental baptist movement boasts of itself of being independent so it's not like a they wouldn't say that they're hierarch- yeah. hierarchical uh, denomination like the Catholics or even, you know, the way they characterized the Southern Baptist Convention. So you think of, you know, with the sexual abuse scandals, there had to be a response from the Pope, right? There had to be some type of um, uh, response from many of the leadership in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. I think, uh, was it a year ago or two years ago when the Houston Chronicle came out about the Southern Baptists? Abuse scandals. And Al Moeller, actually on his podcast, The Briefing, spent an entire episode and it shocked me because it shocked me because I'm used to just whenever people talk about this, we don't gossip. That's air quotes. We don't gossip. We stay quiet about it. And here is Al Moeller on his briefing podcast addressing the article and not going on the defensive. He actually, in Mm. that podcast episode, and I'll try to see if I can find it and link it, he actually talks about how judgment has come to the door. I think that was the title of his article, Mm. of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he he ends by basically saying, we've got to do better. Mm. And so with that being said, should abuse be addressed by IFB leadership?
1: Mm. If If they're independent, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, and I I think it's a tricky thing to explain to someone who's outside of it, but I, I think anyone who's been within that movement knows it's not independent. There there's a there's a definite structure. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about literally this morning. You know, these churches say they're independent, but they hire exclusively from one Bible college, or they say that they're independent, but they specifically have a certain circuit of preachers that come in. And, you know, again, are there, um, I had someone that reached out that said, Hey, my dad started a church on the side of a road in a back country of this area, truly independent. He just happened to be Baptist. Um, I said, yeah, I'm not talking about him and again. I always direct people like, Hey, listen to the show, um, and hear what I have to say. But when it comes to the IFB and leadership speaking out. I see them do it for a ton of other issues. And I, and I see, I see them come together on bus ministry topics on, um, you know, they have soul winning conferences, they have leadership conferences, all these things. We're a very certain, you know, uh, they have political conferences and everybody there is from a certain that independent Baptist denomination. They all go to this area. They all are, You would think that they're a convention you they they all go together you don't see anyone from outside the independent baptist world coming to these conventions or to these conferences and so i guess my my thing is if they can take the time to unify and address you know new taxes on diesel buses or things like that why can't they come together and address abuse in the church um this is not to say that every pastor is responsible for what happens in every other pastor's church, but it is disingenuous to say that there is true independence in that movement. Um, you know, I I just listened to the recovering fundamentals podcast with, uh, with Phil Kidd. Um, I'm still not a Phil Kidd fan. I haven't converted to be a fan of Phil Kidd, but you know, if you just listen to the way that he described his time being part of the independent Baptist movement, it was a huge, like, there was a structure to what you were supposed to do, what you weren't supposed to do. There were, And even though there's not a pope or a president or a fill in the blank of the movement, there are definite leaders that control large portions. For me, growing up in the West Coast, it was Paul Chappell and Jack Treber. It was which side are you on of that group? Uh, for Indiana, Jack Hiles. Um, and again, it's, Sure, they may not have the title, but if Paul Chappell decides to do, you know, four people leading worship on the stage and as a worship team, there were a lot of pastors who were against that before he said it was okay. And so there's definite, again, like I said, if you're within the movement and you're saying it's not, you know, no one's affiliated, we're all independent, like you're just being disingenuous. Like I don't know, I don't know how to address it aside from when you're in it. You know, I grew up as a staff kid in an IFB church. I saw, the people that come in there there was a there was a very definitive kind of ranking of who's who and you know who goes where and where do we hire from and that kind of thing so
0: yeah I think the most glaring thing and I know this gets you know the Jack Scott situation gets brought up and it's mm-hmm. because it was the most recent and it was the the biggest most high profile yeah I remember in February of 2012 I went to a marriage retreat at clarence sexton's jack scott was the featured speaker okay june july is whenever he's arrested following february we go back to said marriage retreat at clarence sexton's not a word is said hmm the it was it, I, I I specifically looked for because they have their you know their tables with all the books and all the stuff, and they have the CDs you can buy of every previous marriage conference since they started it. And I went over there specifically and looked for the previous years. Of course, it right. wasn't on there. I mean, it was just like completely hush. You totally forget. It's like erased from your memory memory right. that Jack Scop was here last year. Like he never existed yeah, yeah. in the IFB world. We're just going to wipe that clean. Right. Instead of, you know, I had him at my church a few months before he was, he, most like yeah. he was in sin when he was preaching here. Let's address this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: it, and again, it's that kind of goes into the, you know, the argument I always hear is, you know, talking about abuse makes the church look bad. Like if we, if we call out like, oh, this just happened and we, we kind of report on, the the times where someone missteps or a leader falls or but my thing is when you try to make things just disappear especially now in the internet age where nothing disappears you know all it takes is for someone to look up a name you know look up fill in the blank and you know that's when it looks bad because that's when it looks like there was a cover-up if you can see a statement like if Clarence sex got up and said you know we just wanted to address this you know, one of the speakers we had unbeknownst to us was, uh, you know, basically praying on a teenage girl from his church. I would have a lot more respect for that. And I don't think that makes the church look bad. I think that makes the church look like it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is to call out wrongdoing and sin. I mean, so, um, but I I mean, in in the network, I I just remember this as you said this, but one of the things that pushed me to start the podcast was when the Cameron Giovanelli situation happened, and there was literally a pastor from the church letterhead sending out to all of his pastoral friends, you know, a, a letter saying, "Hey, let's raise support to help pay the legal fees of Giovanelli." And it's like, again, if you could become unified enough to to pay legal fees for a a self confessed pedophile. Like, why can't you come together and say, hey, what can we do to improve our church nurseries? (laughs) Like, what process can we go through to make sure our place is safer than what it is? Um, So it just, to me, of all the conferences held about soul winning and about, um, you know, dress standards and youth conferences that we see every year held with, you know, 2,000, 3,000 kids bussing in, it seems like we could put a little bit more effort into talking about this issue.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I want to move on to move back to number two that I, that I had. And so this is more of a personal question. And okay. uh, I, I, I've heard, you know, different uh, testimonials of from you from different episodes you've done on the podcast. So I'm, I'm interested to see how specifically you would ask this. So why you obviously are passionate about this. All right. right. Uh, if you've listened to your podcast at any time or even listened so far to the interview thus far. You're obviously passionate about this. Um, you've right. put in the time, the effort. Uh, I, I'm guessing your own money into into, you know, going forward with this effort. Right. Where does that passion come from? Why? Why this subject? Why are you passionate about this?
1: So I'll give a just a condensed version, but I mean, what? Uh, so I, I mean, I grew up in the movement. I was a staff kid. I, I spent seven days a week for the first. 18 years of my life, like on a campus of an IP church and school, Um, you know, and I was, things were great. Like I had a, you know, all my friends are from there. I still am connected with a lot of people there. Um, You know, I had a good relationship. I mean, with my youth pastor, I was at, like, I was, I laughed because I had so much like shame about, you know, being like this wicked, you know, kid. And it was like, I, I was like the epitome of like, oh, I'm a good christian boy you know whatever we think of from that kind of perspective Mm -hmm. and you know i mean i was i was the kid who was like literally like sunday morning sunday night wednesday night saturday soul winning i was going to uh, my youth pastor's house saturdays to you know just hang out like i just hung out with my youth pastor and like we'd you know make pizza and you know talk and all that stuff and you know i i i was not just a bitter rebellious kid like i i was not Um, so basically what happened was when I was in, uh, the summer after 11th grade, um, basically Jesse rule was sent to, to our school. And, um, for those not familiar with the story, I mean, you can, it's one Google search away, but basically he, uh, came to our church, suddenly started volunteering in our sixth grade Sunday school was leading music and, um, you know, I I knew Jesse from previous stuff with like basketball tournaments and stuff. And so I texted one of the guys on his team and was like, Hey, are you going to miss your youth pastor and coach that just left after all these years? And he's like, no, he didn't say goodbye to us. Like we're not, you know, we're kind of upset. And so I Googled to see if the church had said something or if his staff page was moved or, and the first thing that popped up was an article, you know, saying that he had a physical relationship with a babysitter who was like, 16, I think at the time, 15. He was 30. um And so for me, it was like, one, it burst my bubble of like, oh, this is my safe religious mm-hmm. zone where like nothing bad happens here. Like, sure, the Catholics, we hear about them all the time. Pastors talk about that, or here, the public school system, or, you know, fill in the blank. So first, it just made me go, like, oh, this happens in IFB churches. Like, I'd never even thought about it. Um, but then it, two things happened. One, I spent the majority of the rest of that year and that summer trying to get someone to listen to me about like this not being good. And, um, you know, I, my youth pastor to even my, even my parents at the time, um, to everybody, everywhere. I was like, this guy just came here suddenly and we're not going to say anything about it. And eventually he got pulled from like leading music for a while um, and teaching Sunday school. And I just kept pushing. I was like, we need to tell the church about this. Like not because he did something at our church, but I just kept saying, I was like, it doesn't make sense to not say anything or to let people know we're a church. We have a Christian school. I'm like, I feel like parents would want to know this and just nobody would like take it seriously. Nobody would listen. Um, And eventually he um, was back up on stage singing like no my thing was he got sent here he didn't say why he was here and he just kind of got away from what he did and just relocated and so eventually ended up back on the platform like if you tune into a live stream of the church now he introduces every single uh sermon he's still front and center um you know and it, for me, it it was a lot of me just trying to get people to wake up like, Hey, this is bad. Like, I know I'm an 11th grader or going into 12th grade, but like, it's common sense. This is not smart. Um, and then, uh, the next thing that happened out of that is because nobody would listen. I started becoming a little bit isolated. So my youth pastor cut off contact with me for the most part, like I wasn't going to his house anymore. He was telling me I was bitter. Um, you know that relationship kind of got severed over this um you know other people were starting to get upset uh, it hurt my relationship with my dad for for quite a good period i mean we were still we're, we've always been the type like we always go to bed say I love you and all that stuff but it definitely fractured that relationship quite a bit because i just was like how do you not see this as an issue um but as I became isolated, I started looking into these cases of abuse in the IFB. And, you know, I started seeing names of people I recognized. Like here's a speaker that I recognize. Here's you know, I read I Fired God by Jocelyn Zichterman. I was like, oh, I recognized Jeff Call's name. He came to our church and spoke all the time. Um, and I just I just kept going through um David Gibbs. Like David Gibbs was like a favorite speaker when we would go to conferences, and I was like, wait, he was involved with this? And with that and oh my pastor's pastor they always mention the sermons is jack hiles and you know and jack hiles did what and it just kind of like it quickly made me question the safety of where i was at um, which i think it should have and it just made me wonder like why is my pastor like lovingly quoting jack hiles when jack hiles was like not a upright moral man you know why 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 are we having David Gibson when he defended pedophiles at fundraisers to pay for their legal fees? You know, it's, it's, and so when I left, when I finally left um, my senior year, I was bitter um, and I I was really upset because, you know, I felt like my, I, I didn't know who to trust. I didn't have, all of my connections and leaders that I looked up to had kind of just, failed me in a lot of areas and you know my youth pastor i look to is like basically like a second dad i mean he cut off ties over this so i was bitter i I had bottled this up for a year and a half and you know tried to get someone to hear me um but over the over the period of the next couple years like it switched from just being it switched from being bitterness like I, i don't feel i truly don't feel bitter now i truly don't feel but I do feel passionate that same way about like, listen to me. Like there is a, there is a problem here and nobody's listening. No, everybody's acting like everything's fine, but it's not. And, and I think once you see, and I think that's what's happening with the podcast, people are seeing the veil get lifted a little bit and they're saying like, oh, it's also that church. And it's also this conference speaker. I loved it's also this camp speaker that I loved. And, and again, do I think that we need to be bitter toward the movement as a whole? Definitely not. I don't think so. But do we need to ask really hard questions about like why has this been allowed for so long? Yes, I think that does need to happen. Um, and so I guess my passion is that same thing that was like eleventh grade me feeling helpless, saying, "Hey, there's there's a wolf among lambs," kind of thing. To steal Stacy uh, Shiflet's book title. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a wolf here and nobody's taking it seriously. And so the passion for me is just, let's show it for what it is. Let's have an honest conversation about it. And let's fix the thing, the things that are allowing this to keep happening over and over and over again. Uh, I said that was a short answer, but I, I guess I lied. But well,
0: Do you but, think, and I applaud you because at a young age you did that. It, it, I, I did not, I failed in that aspect because hmm. as a college student, drinking the kool-aid if you if you will mm. you know was involved when well, i wasn't involved i was you know just a couple people removed from knowing about a situation between a staff member and a teenager mm. and here we are me and a couple of other guys sitting there talking about you know somebody should say something somebody should say something and the whole reason why we don't is because we feel like we're going to get in trouble and look like we're going to be on the the wrong side of a staff member we want to look good in their eyes and they're going to be mad at us for gossiping right well eventually somebody says something to somebody and that person goes to a staff member the guy's fired and moved out quietly Mm -hmm. like the church has never given an explanation whatsoever Mm. he's just gone and one of the other guys that was in the group that we were trying that found out about it that we were trying to get to say something you know he had his face ripped off by another staff member and the the phrase that was used was your gossiping ruined this man's life never Mm -hmm. mind the fact that that guy came to the ministry because he was writing love notes to a teenager there and the pastor had to do something with him. So he called the pastor of the church that I was at in Arkansas and said, you know, Hey, can you take this guy? And they took him. And then eventually he went into another ministry after he left there. Now I, I would, I would like to see something done about that, but the girl that was involved has never, you know, come forward. And I totally, you know, that's, that's her situation. But, you know, I look back at this, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, I said, there's not a week that goes by where I don't think about that situation yeah and think about why was that not like you said you know here you are a teenager trying to get people to listen because
1: this should be a no-brainer yeah well it and it really did it it's um when that happened and again it, it was so it was such a weird period of my life because up to that point i was working the bus route i was like singing choir i was like i was I was wearing my, you know, rocking my suit to church. Like I was, I was doing everything above and beyond. I was going, I was going door knocking more than just Saturday. Like I was going, I was doing a ton of stuff, um, mowing lawns. Like I was, you know, I was, I was doing anything that needed to happen. And so it was weird seeing that this was the issue that turned to everyone on me, you know, and it became, Oh, you're bitter. You're just a bitter, this and that It was like, I've never been the bitter kid. Like I I talked to my dad about it uh, just recently. And I was like, I was like, isn't it weird? We never had a stage of life where like we had the slam the door, like I hate you, dad kind of phase of our relationship. I was like, it never, we never had that kind of time. And I said, I can't honestly think of any, I've told my wife this too. I was like, I can't think of a time I've ever had like a legitimate argument with my dad over like, you know, where we've been like raised our voices, like, maybe where he's raised his voice at me a few times, which I probably needed. But, but it's like, when it came to this topic, you know, it was like, people were so blind to it being an issue. And there was actually one of the things that like sticks with me. And I actually have, when I started the podcast, I had a bunch of friends reach out from school that were like, remember that time when, and it was, I was at school and You know, I saw Jesse on the property and he was like doing, he was doing like repairs or something during school hours. And I like left my classroom and went to my dad's office, which was on the far end of the auditorium. And I literally like shut his door. And again, I don't even, I don't feel bad about this happening, but at the time it was like, I was so mad and I literally just started yelling. I was like, why? don't you guys see this as a problem? And, and the thing I said in that conversation, which was like the only time I've ever had an, a conversation like that with my dad and the conversation with my youth pastor was, you guys are supposed to keep us safe. And I don't feel like you can do that. And, and that was, that's the thing that just, when I see cover-ups, when I see people try to slip things out quietly, when they, all you're doing is sending a message to people to teenagers in your church, to, to anybody in your church is we cannot keep you safe. Like we're here to make sure that we keep our ministry, like offerings coming in the same. We're here to make sure that we don't have liability. We're here to make sure A, B, and C, but our priority is not your safety. And especially when you're a teenager and like, you're kind of reliant on the safety that your parents and your church provides. um, That's a scary place to be. Um, and so, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was weird. It was, a, it was just a weird period of time. And I don't fault, you know, I look back at that situation. I'm like, there's a lot of things I could have done differently and like how I could have reported it and things like that. But it's, it's just a weird, when you see it happen the first time, it's a weird thing to try to figure out, especially when you're a a teenager, or even like you said, even a college student, you know, I think most college students and IFB churches, um, are high schoolers in average high schools. I mean the amount of the amount of programming you've done to just accept how things are is pretty insane. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I can talk a lot. This is why I have a podcast because before can
0: just before I move on to the next Anything? thing. Just out of curiosity. Okay. So this guy came to your your church when you yeah. were a teenager. He came from his dad's church, I'm guessing Tim Rules. Yeah.
1: Yeah, from Tim's church, yeah
0: was there ever a police investigation
1: yeah so um so what happened was so jesse jesse's wife found and, and i well, i won't say this because i don't want to i don't want to give away someone that i know but someone that i know was at a, at the actual tournament where this happened and i don't know if they'd like me sharing the name on the show but anyway they just told me just a week or two ago they're like i was at the game where um he was confronted by his wife and so basically what happened was she found texts on his phone, uh, between him and their babysitter and basically went, pulled the girl and him out to the, the hallway of the game. And like Jesse, long story short, Jesse didn't come back to the game to finish coaching. And, um, anyway, within like an, I mean, a night or two, um, Jesse's dad, like basically called my, my pastor at the church and said, Hey, Uh, Me and my son have ministry differences, and uh, I think he'd be better off, like, serving at a different church. Do you have any, you know, would it be good for him to attend there? Um, This based on the story of my pastor, um, which I don't have reason to doubt based on when he told me and everything. But anyway, so he told him, like, hey, um, you know, I think it'd be good for him to come down there, serve at a different church for a while. And so within a, a few days after that, I mean, he was there, the the warrant was served from the police to the old property. Um, someone explained it to me, but like there was some legal loop around. He was trying to do with like moving uh, uh, to a different area. So the warrant couldn't get to him and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, he did. There didn't be an investigation. He did plead guilty. Um, he did. He got like a, a couple, I mean, a few months of community service and, um, I, I don't, I don't remember now, it's been a while since I've looked at this case specifically. I don't remember if he had to register as a sex offender or not, but I know he was on probation for five years. And I believe one of the, one of the restrictions of probation was that he wasn't supposed to be at a school or like within, it's kind of like sex offender guidelines. Cause I remember there was something that they had done where I was like, he's not even supposed to be here. Um, but anyway, yeah, there was police. He did plead guilty. Um, and yeah, all, all that information was available like I, I shared the article with my pastor, with my youth pastor, and it for whatever reason he's still uh he's still there today uh, introducing services, so but: hmm. There's no words, Eric. there's no words. <laughs> <laughs> right
0: uh, uh, okay, so let's move on this is This has been about. Um, the series that I've been doing of episodes has been about, yeah. uh, abuse. Okay. So your podcast confronts abuse by giving a voice to the abused. And mm-hmm. so I don't know, maybe you could talk about sort of <laughs> what you were thinking when you started to where Eric is now, but what have you learned from nine months of interviewing abuse victims? Or let me say it uh, this way, abuse survivors.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, there's been, a, there's been a lot of things. I would say the most consistent things um, come to mind first. One, I think most people think that nobody's going to listen to them, um, which, again, I think people might expect that answer. But I, most people don't expect that anyone's going to listen um, or they are so they feel that the majority of people who listen will be against them. Um, and, and honestly, like coming out of some of these churches, like that might be true. The majority of people, you know, might be against you within your church over this, unfortunately. Um, but the cool thing is now, like I tell people, I'm like, there's literally thousands of people that follow my page that are ready to support anybody that comes forward. And I've seen people like, Hey, reach out to me if you need to talk, if you need this. And so I I love that. Now there's a community of people where I can say, Hey, there's at least you know, a thousand people in a Facebook group that are willing to like, you know, talk to you and make sure you're good and everything. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the the second thing, and uh, the hardest thing about the show is like, there's a lot of people that reach out with stories who aren't ready to share yet. And and I'll just preface this with saying like some people, it's not the right time. And And I've talked to trauma specialists and things who say like, hey, maybe the right first step isn't doing a you know a podcast or sharing their story in that format. I've had others that have, you know, I had someone that came on my show because their their therapist said that it would be good for them to do. So um but the the one thing I will say is a lot of people don't come forward until they know that someone else is being affected. Um and I I I want to share this because not to guilt anybody who hasn't shared their story yet but I I like sharing this because I think most people don't think about this way. Um, So I I have some people that have reached out who've said, Oh, you know, I was, I was molested or I was abused or, you know, fill in the blank with one of the topics we cover. Um, But then they'll say, I just want to put it behind me and move on. It affected me. You know, it's a, it's me overcoming this now. And, you know, what I just always encourage people is like, statistically, the odds of you being the only victim of that person, the only person who's been hurt by this person is very, very, very low. Um, I had Dr. Kelly Palfi on um, probably 20 episodes ago now, and she, um, she worked alongside the, I think she was actually on the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, but she worked in Canada with the, the police there in a huge investigation of, uh, this pedophile ring and the people she interviewed on average, uh, had 150 victims each. And when I read that, I was like, I mean, that's, I don't, I can't even, I was like, I can't even think of 150 people to name. <laughs> like I like, that's a crazy number. And I see that stat in all kinds of situations, like people who have one or two victims usually have a lot more um and we just saw this with hopewell um once someone came forward there was another one and another one and another one and so i guess the other thing i i have learned is just that people need to i don't know how to say it i don't I, nobody owes anybody anything with their story but i just hope that the people who think that they're sharing their story won't help anybody. Um, that's just not true. Um, I've, I've seen it time and again where, you know, even if it's not the same abuser, um, someone sharing their story will lead to four or five people reaching out to me and say, Hey, I'm ready to share my story, or Hey, I'm ready to talk to this lawyer, or this police officer, or this fill in the blank. And so, yeah, because sometimes um,
0: there can be nuances or similarities, right? To speak to someone.
1: Right, exactly. And so, um, yeah, so the, the first thing I would say is just that, um, you know, people are ready to hear you. Uh, number two, I would just say that there are, um, there is merit in sharing your story. You're not, I I think some people believe like, oh, I'll sound bitter or I'll sound like this. Um, so yeah, I would just say that's the other thing I've learned is like a lot of people just think there's not going to be value, value in sharing. And I think that's, that's the best thing we can do is to share our stories and encourage other people. Um, and then I would say like the, the last thing I've seen is uh there seems to be, there seems to be a very misguided view of how much power your pastor actually holds. Um, and I've had people that reach out who say, you know, I would love to, you know, I've had people, I'd love to talk to the police But, you know, I know my pastor is going to deny it or, you know, I know the police aren't going to investigate it. And it's like, no, they're going to investigate it and your pastor might deny it, but they're going to look at the evidence around it. And it's just funny. There's a lot of people I think who, uh, I mean, funny is not the right word. It's just, it's just interesting that so many people are so scared of the, the quote unquote man of God in the church. And buy into the lie that he's above the law in some way. Um, and that's been a, that's been something I've been surprised by a lot of people saying is like, oh, I'd love to come forward, but my pastor would deny it. And, you know, or um, especially with teenage victims, like, oh, I just figured the police will come and they'll ask the pastor and he'll send them away. Like I've had like two or three guests that have said, I thought my pastor would send the police away if they came. And it's like, no, he can't do that. Like I know he builds himself up like he could do all of that, but that's not within his, his grasp. Um, So yeah. So that's like the three biggest things. It's just like, I feel like people either feel like they can't share their story. Like it won't have power or that like, if they do, it's going to somehow backfire on them in some, some way. Um, And all of those things have been proven even in the course of the show, not to be true. So
0: do you, do you have a message? or do you have something that you'd like to say to because i think some of the some of my audience i think are some that are in vocational ministry do you have anything that you'd like to to say to those that are working in vocational ministry concerning this area based on you know the experience and what you in the last 9 months what you've learned and gathered that would be helpful going forward
1: yeah, I mean the number one thing is just don't assume that you know how to handle these situations. And um, you know, the I, I again, I and I I never ended up going to Bible college, but I know plenty of people who have and um I've talked with a lot of people in ministry and I can just say with certainty Bible college doesn't prepare you or seminary doesn't prepare you to handle situations like this. And um look, here here's here's the reality of it if you put a hundred to 200 people in a room, you know, for years and years and years, there's going to be some bad people that slip in And, and that's, that's not the fault of you. That's not the fault of your staff. Um, It's just a reality of the world that we live in. Um, When it becomes your responsibility is when you're not taking the time to one prepare safeguards to keep those people from actually harming anybody. Um, And when you do get uh, one of these cases on your desk and someone says, hey, this happened, that's when you choose to become either an ally of the victim or the abuser. And so what I would say to pastors is one, educate yourself. Um, that doesn't mean like just I, I think most pastors focused on like, oh, how am I going to counsel somebody who's been through this or how am I going to, you know, which is part of it, but do some basic research. Um the book right now I'm reading called um uh, oh, shoot. I'm going to blank on it. Um, it's from Deepak Raju. It is called On Guard. Yeah, there you go. Uh, perfect. Yeah, On Guard. Um, that book is a, is an excellent, excellent resource. Um, I just sent that to a pastor just the other day um, who asked me some questions. It's very practical. Um, it even gets into like how to lay out a nursery in a safe way, um, check-in and check-out systems, things like that. Um, you know, and then also do some research from you know uh C. Salter's book Predators, like you know how to identify this stuff um you know uh, just resources resource that'll help you both to understand like the security side and then also like how to help survivors um and create safe spaces there um and then just the other thing I would say is when a case comes across your desk do not just don't handle these situations in house um you are um you know, you have a vocation that is from God and there are also, um, law enforcement is a vocation ordained by God and it's been put there for a reason. And so, um, regardless of what anyone says, like if it's a child or anyone under 18, like call the police immediately, like it shouldn't be, Oh, here's our response team, or here's our team of deacons or no, the the first call should be to the police. And as a pastor, let your people know that they have the permission to call 911. They have the permission to call the police department. Um, you know, the, there shouldn't be a situation where hey, if abuse happens, go to this elder in the church. Call the police, then go to the elder. Um, and then just on the on the last part of that is uh, when you're trying to help victims of abuse, you know, try to get them set up with a legitimate trauma counselor who's outside the church, who doesn't have a personal connection, um, someone who they can talk really openly with. Um, you may not, uh, most pastors probably aren't equipped to handle a trauma survivor. Um, you can still speak, you know, biblical truth and, and walk their, you know, them and their families through things, but try to find someone who's a third party who specializes in this, who can help them. And then uh, the the very, very last thing I'll say is just listen to people who come to you. Like don't, before you know the facts, you don't know the facts. So so make sure when someone comes forward to you and says, hey, something happened, that needs to be a moment you don't question their, you know, don't question their integrity. Don't question, you know, did they quote unquote, ask for it, you know, where, what were they wearing? Like get on the phone with the police, get people who know how to identify this stuff, and sit down then and start looking at the information in front of you. Um, you know, the I wrote a blog article a while back called "They Don't Look Like Monsters," and the truth is, the the people who are doing this stuff who have gotten away with several victims, they got by for a reason. It's because no one suspects them. So don't just take your experience. Don't take your you know, oh, he's a good volunteer, and let that overweigh what a teen girl is saying to you or what a child is saying to you, or a man in the church is telling you, you need to really just understand that these people slip by and you're not again, all I can keep saying is you're not prepared to handle this. And I know that because I'm not, I'm not the person to handle identifying these situations. Um, And the more research I do, the more freaked out. It makes me sometimes that how hard it is to spot this stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, just listen to people and don't cover stuff up. I think that would sum up <laughs> everything I just said.
0: I, I echo so. that a thousand percent, and I think that one of the re, one of the things we see we or have seen in the IFB movement, uh, which is garnered, you know, why you're doing what you're doing, is because um, you talk, you talk, you you mentioned get educated, educate yourself, right. and the the while we see what we see is because there is no education or there is a miseducation because i think more mm. you hear the phrase more is caught than taught and i'm telling you in a lot of these institutions a lot of these bible colleges they're not talking about this in the classroom but they're seeing these young preachers that are going through there are seeing how leadership handles some of these situations and so when it happens that they right. years later they say in fact i'll say this um i was in some of my research on the history of the IFB movement, I came across some writings of Jack Hiles on a book he called, he wrote called justice. And he basically taught how to move some, I mean, it, what he taught in that book is basically the handbook for moving people out quietly. I mean, yeah. it, it was, it, and so in that way, it was almost formally taught, but right. I I could have picked up that same idea of seeing how it was handled at the place that I was at. And that's how you do it in ministry. And I think that's the problem. And, and you have to educate yourself. I'm reading one for our church right now as one of the elders at our church becoming a church that cares well for the abused. And there's a, it's, it's, it's a conglomerate of different people, law enforcement attorneys. Mm-hmm. Rachel Hollander is a, yeah. uh, is a, uh, contributor, contributor into this book and, uh, Chris moles, um, and uh one of the guys on there, I think his name's Mike Edmondson, talked about you know whenever if you rolled up to your church and you see the windows busted out and you walked in and you noticed that the sound equipment's gone, what's your first call? Hmm. It's to the no. police, right? When you notice that illegal activity has just happened, your first response is to the police, but for some reason. When it comes to the illegal activity of sexual abuse, that has not been the first reaction of the church as a whole.
1: Right. And
0: I think, why has that not been?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, um, and I guess you proved me wrong with uh, talking about the book, which I need to check out. But um, but with Jack Hiles, I was going to say, like, Hiles Anderson doesn't formally teach how to move around abuse uh, abusers from church to church. But look how many churches have copied the exact same mode of operation that Hiles did moving people around. And yeah, it's right. It's caught, not taught. It's, it's oh, well, that's what he did. And a lot of these guys call these guys and ask, what would you do? Like, send them off, get them out of your church, do this. And so, yeah, just educate yourself and make sure you educate yourself from a good source. Uh, you know, someone who does have experience with this and knows how to address these situations. So, and And in this day and age, Ministry workers have
0: no excuse
1: not right. to be educated
0: yeah. because we have a wealth of resources coming out that are already out to do that. And uh, right. man, I, I, I am so thrilled with, with your work. I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think you're doing – listen, I'll say this openly. I think that what you're doing with the Preacher Boys podcast and, and the subsequent uh, different outworkings of that is – I think it's biblical work. I really do. I think it's Ephesians four work, you know, exposing the unfruitful works of darkness. And, um, and so I, I pray for that. I pray for those that are in the IFP movement that they would, you know, they would change. And, you know, I know that we say that there are some good ones out there. I I pray that there is change and there is change for the good there. And, um, and so I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and talk about those things. I think it's been awesome. I think it's been helpful. Hey, any update on the documentary?
1: So, I mean, COVID's uh, kind of killed it. Um I I tentatively I'm uh I'm still I uh, 2021 is still the goal. Um I don't know that the my goal is to launch it like the first like few months of Janu- of uh first few months of January. First few months of uh 2021. It'll still be 2021, it'll probably just be more summer um at the rate I'm looking at now. Um I have my goal is to have quite a bit of shooting done like over the next two months. Um, and then the editing is going to be what takes a long time, but, uh, yeah, I, 2021 for sure still is the goal. Um, it's probably just going to move from like a spring to summer, um, thing. I'm just going to work a little harder on the edit to get it faster. Um, but you know, it, it all depends on COVID right now. Um, but it really depends on when things start to really open up. But, but you're in California, yeah. so
0: that's a slow process.
1: <laughs> well, I'm in well, I'm in Nevada now, actually. Oh, you're in but, Nevada, uh, but actually, a good chunk of interviews are in California, and and I'm just I, okay, whatever about you know the COVID. So I don't know. I I just always maybe it's because I am from liberal California, but I'm like I'm like, do I risk it? Do I risk it? I don't know. Um, so I I don't know, but but we'll see. Um, you know, I. The podcast is kind of taking a life of its own too, and I'm, you know, basically putting out an audio documentary <laughs> every week. So, um, but yeah, the once I can, once I'm able to really shoot the way I need to with the doc, it should be uh, summer 2021. So, like this time next year, I'm hoping it'll be all set to go. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm kind of waiting for updates too <laughs> to see where we can get moving. But
0: awesome. Uh, again, thank you. coming on and thank you for the spending time today yeah for sure all right guys that uh wraps up today and uh well i did forget one thing where can if by some chance somebody that's listening to my podcast does not follow you already where can they uh follow your podcast or your uh your output of information
1: yeah i mean the the number one place is just my website. It's preacher doc. It's preacher boys, com. Um, that's like the place you can find resources. I just mentioned, um, you know, both for churches and for survivors. And I'm working to really flesh that out a little bit more. Um, you can find blog articles. You can find the podcast there. You can visit the abuser database, uh, which kind of lists out a bunch of churches and things there. Um, and then everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, it's at preacher boys, D O C. So at preacher boys doc, um, that's the next best place in YouTube as well. If you just type in preacher boys, uh, it'll pop up. Um, definitely go over there. Cause I've got a lot of thumbs downs on, uh, <laughs> on YouTube. So definitely head over there and, and drop a subscribe and a, a like here and there. So,
0: all right, guys, that, uh, wraps it up for today. Um, Again, you can uh, follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Give us a like, give us a share. And uh, until next time, to God, not the pastor, be the glory.